Hello, I am J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. I am your host here at the Truth Labyrinth podcast. Um, Every now and then, I just like to break the podcast down to its simplest form and just give you guys uh, some stuff right off the press, you know, right out of um, my personal walk with Christ and right out of some stuff that God is saying to me. And the things I have to say today are, uh, this is not the kind of message I enjoy giving. And I've kind of been fighting it for over a week. And I felt like it was time to just turn the microphone on and uh, read some scripture to you and give you my interpretation of that, which I, I hope is aligned with um, with what God wants to share with you guys today. You know, I try to be real careful, guys, not to be, you know, super spooky about, um, you know, God speaking into my life and using me as a, as a uh, mouthpiece for his truth. Um, I am human, and sometimes I get in the way of what God's trying to say. And I hope today's not one of those days. So I'm just going to kind of open in prayer and ask God to just kind of take control with this podcast and uh, lead us through some challenging scripture here today. Father God, we just come to you right now and we just surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you, Lord God. We invite you into our exercise room or our car or wherever it is that we're listening to this podcast. Um, Lord, I invite you into my podcasting room. And I surrender myself to you, Lord. And I ask you to guide my lips and guide my tongue that I may speak your truth and that... um, This message today will be something your glory can shine through and that it will bring edification to the the body, Lord, to the body of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So I guess it was probably two weeks ago, God kind of led me to um, some scripture in Jeremiah 17. Which, if you know any, this is Old Testament stuff. If you know anything about the prophet Jeremiah, you know he kind of had a rough go of it. He was sort of the the proverbial bearer of bad news. Yeah. Um, Most of his ministry was communicating God's um, disappointment in the nation of Israel. During Jeremiah's time, Israel had um, turned its back on God, and Israel had become a nation that uh, just sort of was a bunch of blended religion between the polytheistic um, pagan beliefs that had crept in and had kind of just been blended with uh, Jewish beliefs. 
We've seen a lot of that blending together religion kind of thing. Uh, I think I did a podcast back at the beginning of this season. I think I opened up this season with a podcast called Heinz 57 Religion, which speaks to that idea. And it's nothing new. It's been going on for millennia. And, uh, man, it it never leads us anywhere good, and it always brings us some, you know in a place that we really shouldn't be. And the things that I'm going to share here today out of Jeremiah, you have to remember something about the Old Testament when you read the Old Testament. During the Old Testament, the people of Israel were living under the covenant of Abraham. They had not yet received the covenant of Christ, the new covenant, the covenant we are living under right now, the covenant that bought us this period of grace that we are living under right now. Um, They did not have that in the Old Testament. You know, um, basically God was had given them a, a big long list of things they should and shouldn't do and was just kind of putting it in their hands to walk it out in a healthy way and uh, be a people that were living upright before God and uh, obeying his commands. And because when they obeyed his commands, they were prosperous. And I mean, like super crazy, mega prosperous like the richest, most powerful nation of the ancient world. But then during the times of disobedience and rebellion, uh, they would be just the exact polar opposite. You know, their enemies would come and tear down their temples and burn their cities and, and enslave the population and haul them off to Egypt or, you know, some other foreign land, and I mean, it just would be an absolute mess. And we've seen that happen more than once in the Old Testament, that cycle. Um, And what I'm going to share with you here today is going to give you kind of a uh, through-the-window picture of how God views a nation who's living in rebellion. And it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be a jagged little pill to swallow, and uh, it's going to make us really appreciate what we have in Christ Jesus and the time of grace we're living under right now. But, and, and what led me to this scripture was I've had several people come to me, and I don't, I don't see this stuff as chance or accident or coincidence or something like that. I, I really see it as God speaking into my life. And sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's, you know, very low-key. Other times, it's right in my face. I know exactly what it is and where it's coming from and you know what I'm supposed to do with it. But I've had a lot of people come to me recently in the last, say, six or eight weeks just asking me, you know, what are we going to do with the world we're living in here? You know, what things are looking kind of hopeless, you know, and things are not looking good. I had one brother come to me. I even alluded to this in my last podcast, I believe. Um, you know, what are we going to do when the Bible was removed as the standard of integrity? And what most people don't understand is, you know, things like the Ten Commandments and stuff like that that we kind of just, you know, scoff at and laugh at and kind of roll our eyes at, you know, in today's society. Well, I don't, but I mean, most of society does that. And I think the people listening to this understand what I'm saying when I am when I say that. You know, they, they just kind of brush it off like it doesn't really mean anything. And um, yeah, it uh, it really does mean something. And when you trace back to the original um, 
the original blueprint of what is right and wrong, you will always find yourself at in those early writings of Moses. It's not a Christian thing. It's just a historical fact. Um, you know, God gave these standards by which all of society has been structured under way back in the Old Testament. And I mean, it's, it's an archaeological thing. You know, you could, you don't have to take my word for it. You can Google it. You know, I mean, it's just a fact. Um, and he gave us that, you know, so we would know the difference between right and wrong, so that we would know how we should live in order to live a successful, peaceful, harmonious life with each other and with, with God. Unfortunately, and I don't think I need to do too much convincing to make you guys realize this, but unfortunately, many times uh, we have turned our back on that idea and we have chosen to rebel. And um, that led me to that whole idea and, the, and, the, and me getting bombarded with these questions about you know, how right is now being considered wrong and wrong is being considered right and there's such mass confusion spiritually in the country. Um, you know, this chapter is Jeremiah pretty much telling, you know, the people of Israel, look, you've jacked up and you screwed up and you've turned your back on me and um, you've let a false doctrine come into your country in the face of knowing the truth. And I think that's, I, I see a lot of America in this and I see a lot of our modern society, you know, in the things that are being said here. So let me just, let me just go to the scriptures here and read through this. I'm going to give you my commentary as we go through it. You can take it for what it's worth. Today's podcast is totally unscripted. I don't have anything prepared. This is just something I've been mowing on for quite a while. And, um, I thought it was time to just turn a mic on and, and share it with you guys. I'm starting at uh, verse 1, Jeremiah 17. The sin of Judea is inscribed with an iron chisel engraved with a diamond point on their stony hearts and on the corners of their altars. Even their children go to worship their pagan altars and Asherah poles beneath every green tree and on every high hill. Um, an Asherah pole was a, a pole or even a tree that was, um, deemed to be a place of worship to the goddess Asherah, you know, and if you get into, um, pagan worship and you, you spend some time studying what that looked like, it looks radically different now than what it did in the ancient world. Um, and I can't stress that enough. Um, there's a whole lot of people calling themselves pagans right now who really don't understand the roots of their religion. Um, all the, all that stuff, every polytheistic religion of the world can be traced back to Babylon. That's where it all started. All the religions that claim multiple gods, you know, and things like that, all that came from Babylon. And so did Asherah. And it was a goddess type worship where she was the mother of God and um, El was the creator, the father, 
And then uh, it's, it's a mockery of the Trinity, basically, is what it is. It's a pagan mockery of the Trinity. See, the enemy doesn't have any power to create anything. So all he can do is manipulate things God has already created. And um, these false religions were a great example of that. So Jeremiah is calling out Israel, saying, first of all, you got hearts of stone. You know, you won't listen to anything anybody has to say. You are completely convinced that your belief system is the only true belief system and is um, is the only way to live religiously. Um, and that you got to realize something, guys. This is a this is a, a civilization of people, the Jews, the Israelis who's seen miraculous things happen time after time after time after time and still found themselves in these situations. We've all heard the stories of God parting the Red Sea and delivering them from Egypt and all that kind of, that's, that's just small potatoes compared to the, the tons and tons of miracles that, that God you know, rain down on them in their times of obedience and just bless their socks off. Just crazy stuff. Would go to war with their enemies and show up at the battlefield and their enemies, some confusion had come down on the battlefield and the enemies were killing themselves. Like they never had to like even raise a sword to fight their enemies that day. Crazy stuff, man. And they've seen this stuff with their own eyes. Lived. This was a part of their culture. And they still would allow this this false religion into their camp and into their cities and would turn their back on God. Uh, looking at it from our perspective, it seems like absolute insanity because we don't live in a culture where we regularly see miracles. We don't live in a culture where we're seeing those kinds of acts of God happening. And I've had a lot of people ask me over the years why we don't see that like we used to. I'm not saying miracles don't happen because miracles do happen, but they don't happen on the scale that they happened in the Old Testament. At least we haven't seen any of that for many, many centuries. Um, and, you know, guys will ask me, how come we don't see that? Well, the Pharisees came to Jesus at one point and asked him to perform like a little circus monkey for them. You know, you know, show us a sign, show us a miracle, you know, show, like the prophets did of the Old Testament. And Jesus said, my father sent you the law and all the prophets, showed you all those miracles, did all that, you know, supernatural stuff for you. And what you did was capture them, imprison them and kill them. So what good is it for me to perform miracles for you? It's just bull butter, complete, total bull butter. There's no sense in us playing these games anymore. Obviously, you seeing miracles is not enough for you to believe. And I think that's why we don't see that stuff. Because for 4,000 years of the Old Testament, that was like, you know, regular hat, man. That was like... Uh, their life. That was their culture. You know, it was nothing for them to see those sort of things. God repeatedly did things that were completely against all the odds. The Jews were the underdogs of the ancient world. And God loved displaying his glory through them when they were obedient. 
And when I read these, this, you know, first couple scriptures of Jeremiah 17 here, which says, even their children go to worship at their pagan altars and at their Asherah poles beneath every green tree and on every hill, every high hill. I'm reading that in the New Living Translation, by the way. Um, man, I, I see that in my day-to-day life, you know, and it goes even a step further beyond the pagan thing. Man, our society has made all kinds of stuff, false idols and false gods. You know, addiction is a false idol, is a false god. Addiction is a great example of what a human being looks like when he refuses to turn to his creator for answers. Instead, he he turns to a needle or he turns to a bottle of whiskey or he turns to pornography or he turns to some compulsive behavior that hurts his family, anger, rage, gambling addiction. Those are all false gods. For some, it's workaholism. Their career means more to them than anything in this world, and they dedicate all their effort, all their time, all their money into cultivating that career, and their money means more to them than anything. That has become their god. They're prideful, they're boastful, they hold nothing sacred, and they live life like there's no tomorrow and like there's no consequences to their actions. And the result of that is the world we are living in now, where right is becoming wrong and wrong is becoming right. Satan is the author of confusion. And this scripture that was written four or five, six thousand years ago goes to prove that he's pulling the same junk on them as what he is on us. Verse 3, so I will hand over my holy mountain along with all your wealth and treasures and your pagan shrines as plunder to your enemies, for sin runs rampant in your land. The wonderful possession I have reserved for you will slip from your hands. I will tell your enemies to take you as captives to a foreign land, for my anger blazes like a fire that will burn forever. People read stuff like this out of the Old Testament about God, and they have a hard time connecting that with the God of love of the New Testament. And what people don't understand is God hates sin in every form or fashion. Why? Because all it does is kill and destroy And instead of being a passive God that just gives these people enough rope to hang themselves, he loves them enough to discipline them. The same way you discipline your children when they do things that are harmful to themselves. And this really stands to testify to just how good we have it in this season of grace and mercy that we get to live under because of what Christ did on the cross. Because God loved us so much, 
his discipline started falling on deaf ears. And the suffering of his people weren't leading them to the places of wholeness and restoration that he desired for them. So he decided to fix the problem by sending Christ. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I've got a little bit more of this I want to read. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. How many people do you know right now that put their faith and their trust in other people, especially people of influence, more than they do God? We see it every day on TV or on the radio where movie stars or rock stars or music icons or politicians will stand up and tell us some line of bull butter, and we believe that over the Bible. We'll take their word over common sense sometimes. Look at the amount of fear people are living in right now. That didn't happen by accident. That happened by people putting their faith in other people instead of in God. Verse 6, they are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for a future. They will live in, a, in the barren wilderness in an uninhabitable, salty land. But even in the face of this judgment, God has mercy. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. You see the contrast he's painting there? He's saying, if you put your faith in man, you're going to be like the bush in the desert that has no hope, living in an uninhabitable, salty land. But when you put your trust in God, that he will be your hope and he will be your confidence. And it goes on to say, they'll be like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach down into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worries, or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That's a pretty kicking promise right there. I don't care who you are. Let me read that again. Verse 7, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. There's some symbolism there I think I need to explain. Being a tree planted by the riverbank, if you read Psalms 1, I believe it is, it says that they'll be like trees planted by the living waters whose leaves will not wilt and will produce fruit a hundredfold or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, those trees are always believers in, in Christ. Those trees are always believers in God, those who have put their trust in God. Those roots that go down into the water symbolize our efforts toward holiness and our efforts to seek God with everything in us. And that our hope and our food, our nutrition, is spiritually, is coming from, from the throne room of heaven. It's coming from God through Christ Jesus. And when we do that, and when our roots are in Christ, we won't worry about the droughts. 
We won't worry about the storms that come raging because we have confidence and security in knowing who we are in Christ. And it says their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That means when everyone around you has stopped producing fruit, when everyone around you is starving to death spiritually, emotionally broken, or completely jacked up that they got to take a handful of psychotrophics every day just to get through their work week, you're the one that has peace in the midst of the storm because your roots go deep into the, the living waters of, of God. That's powerful. But then he comes back to say this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. In the Old Testament, that's how it, that's how it rolled. And the only reason he's not doing that now is because Christ hung on a bloody cross and was murdered an innocent man to provide the satisfaction for God's wrath toward your sin, toward my sin. I listen to a podcast all the time called Wretched Radio, and they regularly talk about how we're all wretched in some degree or another. That made me feel very uncomfortable the first time I heard that. Very uncomfortable. Because I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm not wretched. I mean, I'm trying to be like Christ. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be, you know, uh, gracious and, and grateful and, and, and humble. And, you know, I mean, I know I fail here and there. And they're, they're, they're not trying to say that you're not trying to be those things. They're saying left to our own devices. And I could give you a bunch of biblical examples and a bunch of real world examples to reinforce this. Left to our own devices, we are wicked, desperately wicked, is what it says, and deceitful. And you look at situations like King David of the Old Testament. God said, this is a man after my own heart. He got in an idle-minded, lazy state in his life and ended up having an affair with a married woman and then murdered her husband. Had an illegitimate Pregnancy, murdered the husband to try to cover it up. Actually tried to have the husband come back and sleep with his wife so they could hide it. That didn't work because the husband was too dedicated to, you know, his position in the army that he wouldn't sleep with his wife because his brothers back on the front line wasn't getting to sleep with their wives. So he was being like the ultimate patriot, the ultimate man of integrity, and David had him killed. Sitting back to the front lines with a letter basically a death letter to give to his superiors for them to put him in the front lines in the hottest part of the battle so he can be killed. That's some backhanded, jacked-up business right there. And God called him out on it, man, and David suffered because of that. Let's fast forward to now. How many people do you know throughout your life who claim to be great people, lived really gracious lives, lived prosperous, you know, integrity-filled lives, and then just had an absolute season of rebellion and did some of the most ugly, nasty stuff you've ever seen. Just talk to somebody that's been through divorce. They'll tell you all about it. Because we don't live in a world of perseverance anymore. We live in a world where we just, things don't feel good, Well, then we go somewhere where they do feel good. We don't understand the benefits of suffering anymore. 
so we run from our responsibilities and, and trying to run away from the suffering that we're having to go through because God's maybe trying to grow us and, you know, growing us is never comfortable. Comfort is rarely ever compatible with growth, ever. Growth is always uncomfortable. And sometimes God challenges us very, very deeply. And that means it's going to be very uncomfortable. Sometimes things of this world just throw us a curveball. And that causes some really horrible stuff to happen. And out of those situations, we tend to do things that are completely out of character. I've seen it a bazillion times. I've done it in my own life. We're all guilty of it. I mean, when I read that scripture, I'm talking about me too. I have a human heart. So when it says a human heart is the most deceitful of all things, it's talking about my heart too. Because you lead me to my own devices, and I am jacked up, brother. The only hope I have for peace and satisfaction in this world is in my relationship with Christ. And even in all the efforts I try to do with that, I still find myself lost in a whole bunch of junk I shouldn't be participating in. I mean, not crazy stuff, but you know what I'm saying. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It's part of the human experience. He goes on. I'm almost done here, guys. Verse 11. Like a partridge that hatches eggs she has not laid, so are those who get their wealth by unjust means. At midlife, they will lose their riches. In the end, they will become poor, old fools. Man, this hit me right between the eyes. I mean, I don't consider myself a dishonest person because I've you know, really tried to be a man of integrity most of my life. But, you know, I'm I'm not gonna lie, man. There's been times in my life where I think I've been on I've been on the borderline of some of that. There's been times in my life where I think maybe I've even went over that line. Again, we've all fallen short. And man, that really hit a nerve with me. And I know people who their whole life is seeking out wealth by unjust means and have no conscience about it. Like they have no regret, no remorse. It's just a way of life. They are so desensitized to what they're doing that they don't even feel bad about it anymore. I'm happy to say I've never been that far off the you know, off the radar of God's conviction. But it's like Tuesday in today's world. It's just, it's just another day. It's just, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I have known people who live like this. The one guy in particular is coming to my mind who had, had a construction company and just made a boatload of money and, you know, Boy, his his ego blowed up too, right along with his bank account. And now the guy is he has absolutely nothing. They're living on, you know, state assistance. Him and his wife both are struggling drug addicts and not even trying to get straight. 
living in complete rebellion to the truth they both know about the gospel of Christ. And their lives are horrible. I mean, I, I say that with the utmost compassion. I hate that they're like that. This brother was somebody that I bled with at one point in my life. Somebody that I loved very dearly. But I can't fix them. Because I can't make them believe. I can't make them do the right thing. We can't do that with anyone. We can't make anyone do the right thing. I mean, come on, guys. Let's be honest. Half the time, we can't get the right thing done right in our own lives. We're struggling to keep that straight. I think that's the biggest problem that plagues the church right now. Is that the people going to church are just barely hanging on to their salvation, and no one is growing to a, a level of maturity where they can actually go out and win souls for the kingdom. You couple that with the, the just blatant failure of the modern church, and you have what we have now. We have this blended Heinz 57 spirituality in, in our country. In people's lives, in our culture, in our politics, in our government, it all reflects that. The government is a reflection of its society. The government is corrupt. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I think we can all agree on that. The government is corrupt. They're not looking out for your well-being. They're not going to come knocking at your door next week and ask you how you're doing and is there anything they can do to help you. It's a den of thieves is what it is. And it's a direct reflection to the culture we see playing out on MTV, and we see playing out in Hollywood, and in the high school down the street. It's sad. It really is sad. People are pulling their kids out of public school in an epic proportion now. Epic. Like the numbers are... Stupid, like bigger than they've ever been. People of integrity understand what's going on in the school system, and they're pulling their kids out of school. They're homeschooling kids. Homeschooling. The homeschooling industry is blowing up right now. They're having conventions, and thousands of people are showing up looking for training, looking for help, looking for curriculum and materials because they just don't trust the public school anymore. The public school's not safe, first of all. And second of all, the stuff that they're teaching does not align with their family's core beliefs. So it is what it is. Jeremiah goes on to offer up worship and praise to God. I'm just going to paraphrase here so we can get through this. Um, and just the importance of how, you know, we need to make you know God the center of our life. And we need to be serious about seeking him. And then finally he ends the chapter with how we need to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the reason he brings that up is because he is speaking directly against foreign false religions that have polluted the nation of Israel. The Sabbath has always been a a standard by which um, the Jews held sacred in relation to um, their faith in God. 
and we need to hold it. We need to, you know, hold it sacred in our own lives. I mean, do we really have to fight taking a day off, you know, and enjoying that day with your family and with friends and, you know, not working that day? And look, you know, I'm one of those guys, too. I work on Sundays all the time. I work in the music business, you know. I mean, my work week is Thursday to Sunday. But you know what? For every Sunday I work, I I take at least a day or two off during the week to seek God to spend time with friends and family and to make sure that I'm, I have balance in my life. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about setting aside time that you can seek God and creating a balance in your life. Even God didn't work seven days a week. I hope this made sense to you guys because it really spoke to me. It really, It really made me... You think about where we are, you know, and I'm not just sitting here throwing stones across the fence at the neighbor here. I'm, this stuff is hitting home in my own life. There's things in my life I need to, you know, work on. And if you didn't listen to this and think that there's things in your life that you need to work on, you need to question, you know, your sensitivity to the gospel. Have you been desensitized? I think we all have to some degree. I ask myself regularly how the Apostle Paul or how you know, Peter or John or, you know, some of the rock stars of the New Testament, even Jesus, how they would react to seeing the things that we just call normal life in our day-to-day worlds. You know, working in the music business, you know, I'm obviously at a lot of big concerts and see a lot of a lot of crazy stuff happen on stage and stuff like that. And there's times that I can't help but sit there and think that this this is probably what pagan worship looked like in the temples of Babylon. I know that's harsh. I, I can't even believe I'm saying it. You know, I mean, but there's times I'm thinking that. There's times where the amount of just blatant debauchery that is coming from the stage is just overwhelming. And when you're someone whose eyes have been opened to spiritual matters, you know, if you're a Christian and you're someone who's connected, you know, with God and you know, the Holy Spirit is living in you, you're sensitive to those things. And I'm sensitive to that stuff. I never say anything about it. I'm not, you know, the guy that's going to get on a bullhorn and start calling people out and telling everybody they're going to hell because I don't think that's getting anywhere. They did that during the, you know, 60s, 70s, all the way into the 80s, and it really didn't do anything but make Christians look like fools. And let's face it, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This world laughs at who we are. They blatantly poke fun at and scoff at our belief system and think that we're weak-minded idiots. Yet I just watched a four- or five-part documentary on the Heaven's Gate fiasco that happened, and some of the most highly educated people were involved in that. There were no stupid people in that cult. They were all highly educated people. But I'm weak-minded because I believe in the virgin birth, because I believe in the Trinity, because I believe Jesus was the Son of God. But you don't see the insanity of believing that we're some alien lab project. 
you know, that we're just DNA that was planted here by alien race or, you know, dude, fill in the blank, you know. The craziness people believe just blows me away. And when people start sharing that stuff with me, again, I'm never confrontational. That's not who I am about all this. You know, God's given us all free will to choose or to not choose, and I'm not going to get in the way of your free will. If you want to choose to believe that, you know, we're here, we all, you know, evolved from, you know, pond scum, hey, man, that's your right to believe that, and I believe in giving you the space to believe it, because God does. God ain't trying to force himself on you. He's not trying to force what he believes on anybody. That's not how it works, guys. And I know that the church has done a horrible job of communicating that, but biblically, that's not how it works. Christ stands at the door of your heart and knocks. If you don't open, that's totally on you. And he's going to totally love you all the way to hell. And I'm not the guy that says who's going to hell and who's not going to hell. I don't play those games. Those decisions are made above my pay grade. I'm just telling you, if you're an evil, wicked person who lives in direct rebellion of of the creator of the universe and his son who loved you more than you've ever loved yourself, that's 100% on you. It doesn't affect me. I'm not the one that's going to be standing before God having to give an account for that. When I stand before God, I'm going to give an account for my life. There's not going to be anybody there for me to blame You know, there's not going to be anybody there I can point at and say, oh, it was their fault. They're the reason that I was the way I was. Look, God understands that we're a product of our environment, especially those of us who've been abused and been victims of abuse and things like that. He gets that. That's not what's going on there. No, we're talking about blatant rebellion. God is giving everyone, everyone a chance to repent. It says in the New Testament that God is long-suffering toward us where that none should perish, but all come to repentance through Christ Jesus. Is he really such a bad God that he loved you so much he sent his only son to die an innocent man, crucified, executed, let me put it in modern terms, executed and murdered so that you can be free, so that you can go to heaven. Because you don't earn heaven. Heaven's a gift. You earn holiness. Two completely different things. You know, we live in a time where people laugh at people like us. I have seen the most horrible, blasphemous stuff directly, you know, aimed at Christianity from people who preach tolerance. It's such hypocrisy. People want to talk about hypocrites living in the church? Really? You're going to tell me that you're a people of tolerance, and then, you know, if you did that about any other religion, you'd, it'd be called a hate crime. Why is it not called a hate crime when it's aimed toward Christianity? I'll tell you why, because every demon in hell hates Christians. Every demon in hell hates anybody who even remotely believes that Jesus was the Son of God. And they're never going to give up trying to convince you that either he doesn't exist or he doesn't love you. Because if he can get you to believe either one of those things, you'll never connect with God. I've been through both of those scenarios in my life. I know what it's like to be on the other side. I was an atheist for quite a while, a few years of my life early on. My post-teen, early 20s years, yeah, 
I had so much of the church, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I became an atheist. I knew God existed, but I was sick of the church, and I sure as hell wasn't, you know, getting all wrapped up with the craziness that was the occult that I seen some friends of mine on the road, you know, involved in. It's just ridiculous. And what I what I found so humorous about all that was that even Satan has hypocrites in the occult. <laughs> Because I've seen guys who claim to be these spooky, scary, you know, Satanists, and they were as tame as pussycats. Like, really? They would talk a big game, but when it came time to, like, put it down, there was nothing there. Nothing. Total hypocrites. And I remember seeing that as, like, a 19-year-old guy on the road playing music full-time, 20-year-old guy on the road playing music full-time, and seeing that stuff play out in front of me and thinking, that they're no different than the, the people I went to church with. That just reinforced my whole atheistic viewpoint. But what I was doing is I was running from God. I was running from the ministry he was calling me to. I was running from his constant conviction to please come back, sit down at the table, and let's talk about this. Allow me to heal you. And it still took years even after that. I listened to that voice over and over and over again in my life and ignored it, drank it away, drugged it away, turned my desires toward women so that I wouldn't think about it. Anything that I could find to shove in that hole just to shut that voice up in my head. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to be one of these "quote unquote" church people. I grew up around church people. They were horrible. They were horrible. And then after my first divorce, I went through probably five or six years, seven years of direct rebellion because I just didn't believe God cared about me. I didn't believe God gave two rips about me. I was so hurt and so tore up after that divorce and my family was split up and having to be a part-time father. I never got to be a full-time father to either one of my kids. I was a part-time dad to both of my daughters. And that was heartbreaking. And that was not easy to get through. And if I sit here and think about it long enough, it'll break me even now. And I'm still, all these years later, trying to convince my, my kids how much I love them and how much they mean to me. And now they're in their 20s and they know everything and dad's not cool. So they're another 10 years away from understanding that sort of thing. But they will someday. It's just a matter of time. So I know what it's like to fall for those two very deep lies that I see operated in people's lives every day. A lot of people run around on what we call the suffer bus with a lot of church hurt. They grew up in a church that just tore them to shreds. Or they grew up in a church that abused them psychologically, physically, sometimes sexually. And now they equate that with God, when God didn't have anything to do with that. That was the evil, deceitful hearts of man we were just talking about, that Jeremiah was talking about. 
Yeah, that's right. They exist inside the church, too. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that now. There's been way too many scandals hit mainstream, so there's no hiding it. And I think that's a good thing. It needs to be revealed. This is not a game, guys. You know, and I'm not a hellfire brimstone kind of guy. You guys know me. You know, most of my audience knows me. It's not who I am and how I roll. But these are the things that I think about. And these are the things that I, I feel God speaking to me about in my life. None of this may make any sense to you whatsoever. And that's okay. Yeah, thanks for listening. Especially 49 minutes into this, you know. Thanks for listening. But for those of you that totally get what I'm saying, that totally understand where I'm coming from and see what I'm seeing around us and feel it in your spirit when you're out in public places. And you, and, and I was referring to just, you know, the music business thing. I could see the same thing at Walmart. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was at the post office today and this girl had a, a shirt on working at the post office, had this shirt on that was a Ouija board. And I was kind of asking her about it and this, that, and the other. And she's like proud as, you know, proud as as anybody could possibly be about being all that. And look, I'm not trying to infringe on her right to be that way. No, I will protect that right because I think that's part of who we are as Americans. We all have the right to be who we be. You realize that they put that in the Constitution because it's biblical, Right. It's always going to come back to the Bible, guys, whether you like it or not. It's biblical to give people the right to choose because God gives you the right to choose each and every day. He does not force himself on anyone. But it just, I walked away from that post office experience like, here we are. This is, you know, a mile and a half down the street from where I live at. <laughs> She thinks it's the coolest thing in the world. Has absolutely no idea what she's dabbling with there. I'm going to tell you one more story about another guy I know, and then I'm going to close this out in prayer here. I know a guy right out of high school. I actually went to high school with him, but I wasn't real close friends with him or anything like that. It was just sort of an acquaintance, a friend of a friend sort of thing. Uh, he used to kind of hang around some of the musical circles I was in back in those days, uh, but he wasn't really a musician. And uh, him and some other guys I knew used to go to cemeteries and do seances and worship the devil and all that kind of stuff and everything. Yeah, there was two or three guys in that group. They used to do that sort of spooky stuff, and you know they took pictures of you know pentag- pentagrams on top of people's graves, and yeah, you know, I mean just crazy, goofy, occultic you know, spookiness. And they thought they were so cool. And I ran in a lot of the same circles as those guys, as someone who believed in Christ. I wasn't much of a Christian in those days. I was a rebellious teenager, but I did believe. For some of you, you understand what I'm saying. And those guys were the cool guys, and those guys were the mysterious guys, and chicks thought they were cool, and you know, because it was so different, and they were so rebellious, and you know, blah, 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 and all this, that, and the other. All three of those guys grew up to have absolutely horrible lives. One is a drug addict. Well, two of them, 
Actually, I guess I'm lying. If I want to be real, all three of them are drug addicts. One of them hides it better than the other two. But I know for a fact he's a drug addict too. One is homeless. Uh, the other one, I think, was living with his mother or lives in a state assistance facility or something. Uh, other guy is completely cuckoos for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, completely off the rails. I've seen a video of him not long ago doing something. I can't even believe. He did a Facebook Live thing of him just losing his mind. Police outside the whole nine yards. And you know what? It's like Jesus told the disciples, you know, don't don't boast because of what you have in God. But just be thankful and grateful that that's not you. You know, have mercy and compassion. I don't I don't look at that stuff and I don't say that or bring that up to puff me up like I'm better than them because I am 100% not better than anybody. But I think it stands to reason how their lives worked out following their God of choice and how, you know what, I might not be wealthy (laughs) and live in a very, very modest home, but you know what, I'm happy, I'm satisfied, and God has given me strength to endure. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your Son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, for saving us through his shed blood on the cross, and then raising from the dead three days later to give us resurrection power in our life so that we, through him we can be overcomers, so that we can be more than conquerors, so that we don't have to be blown this way and that way by every whim and doctrine and religion that comes down the pike. But we can know and have eternal security that we are one with you, Lord. That you've loved us so much that in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our evil, deceitful hearts, you kept pursuing us. And you kept, oh Lord, thank you. You kept the Holy Spirit speaking into our ear, saying, come to me. Come to me. Let's talk about this. Let's reason this out. Give me a chance so that I can show you that I'm not who you think I am. That I am a God full of mercy and grace. Yes, he hates sin. He really does because we are the victims of sin. And he hates seeing his children suffer. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for establishing us. And as it says in Psalms 23, establishing a place at the table of our enemies. Thank you that in the face of insane odds, You still love us so much that you're not going to let us fall by the wayside. Thank you, Lord, that there are times that the winds are blowing so hard and the storms of life are beating us down so hard, it's hard for us to have hope. 
Lord, I pray that you give us strength through this holiday season coming up. I pray that you comfort those of us that are alone this holiday season. And you send people across our path, Lord, that we can speak truth into, we can speak life into, and send people across our path that can minister to us. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We open ourselves to your direction, to your discipline. We welcome that, Lord God. We ask that you mold us and make us people your glory can shine through. Make us tender and gentle and people of love so that we can reach into the lives of the hurting, Lord God, through your spirit and minister your gospel to them and lead them to the only place of restoration, and that's the cross. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.